Hi there, this is the Rev. Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Well, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, then you know that I do love to tell the story. My stories, other people's stories, all kinds of stories. But the best stories of all to tell are the ones found in the four Gospels. That is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are all about the life, ministry, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That said, however, I also have to say that the Gospels also contain some great stories about the people Jesus encountered on the way. People who, by the way, have questions and struggles not unlike yours and mine. People, for instance, like Nicodemus, who's the subject of today's message, which is based on his story coming from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. It's the first part of a new series of messages we're calling Encounters on the Way. Well, the first thing you need to know about Nicodemus is that religiously speaking, he was kind of a big deal. He was, as John's Gospel makes it clear from the outset, a Pharisee. But not just any Pharisee, mind you. Nicodemus was likely one of 70 members of the Sanhedrin, which made him part of the ruling council of the temple in Jerusalem and a member of what served essentially as the supreme court of the Jewish faith. So, not only was Nicodemus a member of a religious class wholly dedicated to strict adherence to the law and a rigid interpretation of Jewish tradition, he'd also risen to a place of great power in that body. And he was well-known, and he was a well-respected teacher of the law. Basically, if I might quote Frederick Beatner's description of him, Nicodemus was a VIP with a big theological reputation to uphold. There really shouldn't have been any good reason for him to be concerned by, by some itinerant preacher who had been out there capturing so much attention amongst the people. But you see, Nicodemus had heard a whole lot about Jesus, and it bothered him, but not in the way that you'd expect. Actually, I love the comparison made by Bob Deffenbaugh, uh, a preacher, pastor, commentator from out of Texas, and in a commentary regarding our text for this morning, he writes this. Suppose, he says, that you are a renowned pianist, trained by the finest concert pianist the world has ever known. And when you perform, crowds gather to listen. Everybody wants to see you play. Everyone hails you as a master musician. But then along comes this young man from out of the sticks. Someone who never had a piano lesson in his life, but simply had taught himself to play on a broken down instrument at his grandmother's house. And yet when this alleged musician comes to town, people throng to hear him perform. And when he does, tears come to the eyes of those in his audience. 
Finally, Diffendoff says, when you get to hear him play, you understand why. You, better than anyone else, recognize in him a musical genius that you never had and you never will. When you hear him play, you know deep down you will never ever hold a candle to him. Think of that as a parable. And you can say that this is how it was for Nicodemus. When it came to everything, he was hearing about Jesus. Now, as John tells this story in his gospel, it's still early on in his ministry. But Nicodemus was already aware of who Jesus was. He knew about his teachings and of his growing reputation. And this was troubling and intriguing all at the same time. When Nicodemus hears Jesus teach, Diffenbaugh goes on to say, he hears answers to questions that have bothered him for years. He watches the crowds as they listen to Jesus and how, how Jesus speaks in simple terms, but how that message has such incredible power. Not only that, but everywhere Jesus goes, there are signs and wonders happening. Far beyond anything the Pharisees could ever do or, or even consider. And oh, by the way, this Jesus had already proven to be fairly well outspoken against the religious status quo of the time. He just kicked over the tables in the temple, in fact. And rather than just simply getting in trouble, more people were surrounding him. More people were listening to him. Well, none of this was sitting well with the Pharisees, much less the Sanhedrin. And they knew they had a lot to lose if this so-called Jesus movement took hold. And perhaps all this concerned Nicodemus as well. After all, we're talking about an older man here who had risen up in the ranks and, and he had flowing robes and the fringes and everything to show for it. But here's the thing. Nicodemus was also curious. He wanted to know more. No, he needed to know more. Truth be told, when it came to Jesus, and I'm quoting Nancy Rockwell now, Nicodemus was half disbelieving, but half aching, aching to find out what he'd heard was true. Basically, Nicodemus needed answers, so he went to Jesus to find out for himself. Of course, given Nicodemus' great standing and reputation in Jerusalem, not to say nothing of what the rest of the Sanhedrin and his fellow Pharisees would certainly have to say about it. All of this happened under the cover of darkness. Better, he reasoned, to be safe than sorry. And did you notice, as Gene was reading that passage, that the first words that Nicodemus says to Jesus are, shall we say, political in nature? It's sort of conciliatory, the way he compliments Jesus. Rabbi, which in and of itself was to acknowledge the legitimacy of Jesus' teaching. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you can do apart from the presence of God. Just, you know, before you really get into the hard stuff, let me, Jesus know, hey, we've been paying attention. Good work there. But here's the thing. Jesus ignores this completely. And he dives right into matters at hands, one profound teaching after another. 
Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. You must be born from above. Now, as I hear that passage, I have to imagine that Nicodemus comes to this late night conversation well prepared with a long list of questions to ask Jesus. But what happened is that Jesus immediately took the conversation in a direction and to a level that Nicodemus was totally unprepared for. Picture, here's old Nicodemus, this learned scholar who had spent his whole life being absolutely certain of everything he always knew to be true. And here he is as Jesus is talking and he's just left there, slack-jawed, buggy-eyed, and stammering. But how is this possible? What do you mean being born a second time? No one returns to the mother's womb. What are you talking about? And what about the law and the prophets and everything I've built my life in over the years? How can this be? And even as he's asking these questions, did you notice Jesus keeps on going? What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't you get it? The wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going to go. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. With just a few new teachings from Jesus, you see, what we discover is that all of Nicodemus's cherished certainties had begun to unravel. Where once there was absolute clarity, now there were just a whole new series of teachings that were, to say the least, overwhelming. And you know what? This wasn't just applicable to Nicodemus alone. Worth noting here, that as it's translated from the Greek, Jesus used the word you, as in you must be born from above, in the plural. Meaning that these very radical teachings of Jesus not only apply to Nicodemus, but they apply to all these pious Pharisees, all the powerful Sanhedrins, and in fact the entirety of those who would be numbered amongst those who follow God. Jesus, in that late night moment, was setting forth a new standard of faith and righteousness that went far beyond this rigid adherence to the law. Teachings that were, at the moment, simply too much for Nicodemus to comprehend, much less embrace as truth. But even as Nicodemus' mind and heart were just reeling from all of this, Somewhere in Jesus' words, there was for him a rebirth. When exactly it happened is uncertain. Actually, though, I'd suspect it began at the point when Jesus, having already talked about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness as a sign for life, utters those powerful, all-essential, and very familiar to our ears, the words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in me may not perish but may have eternal life. Now that was a teaching that most certainly must have raised the eyebrows of this older rabbi. I mean, what, what is it that he was suggesting? 
But even more so, Nicodemus must have been stirred when Jesus added this part. And this is the translation courtesy of the message. After all, Jesus said, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. He came to put the world right again. You know, like I say, when all of this came into focus for Nicodemus, we don't know. All we do know is that afterward, Nicodemus would never, ever be the same. You know, there are actually two other references to Nicodemus found in John's Gospel. The next one comes in the seventh chapter, in which Nicodemus is actually defending Jesus, albeit in a way that's very safe and quiet, benign and consistent with the law, by suggesting that the law does not judge people without giving them a hearing to find out what they're doing. In other words, don't decide Jesus' fate without talking to him. So there was that. But then later on, there was that moment after the crucifixion when it was Nicodemus who was carrying the burial spices and oils as he went with Joseph of Arimathea to bring Jesus' lifeless body to the tomb. And this time, by the way, did so in broad daylight, at great risk. For Nicodemus, it was a journey that was begun in the darkness but eventually came into the light. And it was a journey that was propelled by his own seeking and his own willingness, however reluctantly at first, to encounter Jesus on his way and to ask the difficult questions of what it really and truly means to walk and to live in faith. And here's the thing, friends. As you and I are on our own journeys of faith, both during these 40 days of Lent that that lead us to the cross and beyond, but also on the way of life itself, it would seem to me that Nicodemus is a good inspiration for each one of us as we set forth. Because what Nicodemus reminds us is that being born again is not so much a redo of our first birth. It is, to quote the Reverend Dr. Cynthia Weems, Methodist pastor and preacher out of Florida, it's a different kind of birth. One that allows our spirits to overcome whatever blows the physical world that blows has dealt us and to live fully remade with the knowledge and experience of the living God. And how can that happen, friends? How can we be fully remade with the knowledge and experience of the living God unless we ask the questions we need so we can at least begin to find out the answers. Some years ago in a prior church, I had a young parishioner who actually said to me, his pastor, his confirmation leader, the person whose church he'd been attending for years, he said to me, I don't think I need to go to church anymore. I really think I know all I need to know about religion. And he wasn't kidding. Now call it youthful bravado, an overwhelming sense of inner certainty. Maybe it was the great desire he had to spend his Sunday morning somewhere else. But the bottom line, 
is that at least in his own mind, this young man didn't really have any other questions he was going to ask God. And there's nothing I could say about it that could ever convince him otherwise. Now, honestly, I trust that as he grew in age and maturity, once he'd been out there into the world a bit, as life unfolded in its always mysterious and unexpected fashion, that he likely discovered, oh, maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe there are questions and subjects that he and God had yet to discuss. But I also got to tell you, if that never happened, then I feel sorry for him. Because faith is not a destination. It's not something you get to. You've earned all your points, you've done all you need to do, and then you sit back and watch what happens. No. Faith is an ongoing journey with twists and turns and unforeseen happenings that can only be confronted in the presence of God and Jesus Christ and through the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Each one of us, you and you and me as well, are people who are born of the Spirit, and we are set forth on a way that is walked upon the earth but is governed by heavenly things. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, no, it's not Paul, it was John, excuse me, that we are not, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We must never be afraid to let that spirit take us where it will. And as it does, to ask the important questions of being and of true faith. Now, sometimes the answers we get will bring us comfort and much needed hope. Sometimes we will feel as nearly as confused as we are challenged by the truth of what the Lord has to say to us. You've heard me say this before. It's, what we, it's not what we don't understand in Scripture that scares us. It's what we do understand. Sometimes the answers we get will just give rise to more questions. But what we'll always find in ways we can never predict or wholly understand life, life now, life eternally, will come into focus and we will never be the same again when we encounter our Lord and ask the questions we need to ask. Good way, I think, to start this Lenten season, this journey to the cross of Jesus Christ and beyond. And actually, I think it's a good reason to come to this table of blessing this morning. So let us do just that. And let our thanks be to God. Amen. And that's the message all about Nicodemus, which was the first part of our current Lenten sermon series, Encounters on the Way, and was recorded at our March 1st service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, you are always invited to join us for Sunday morning worship. They happen every week at 10 o'clock in the morning at the church on 51 Mountain Road here in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. We are, as I like to say, a small but mighty congregation, and we would love to have the opportunity to welcome you, especially now that we're in the midst 
of these days of Lent. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. I'm Michael Lowry. Thank you so much for listening today. And thank you for your continued support of this podcast. Until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.